Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this week's podcast episode. In this episode, we are going to be talking about how you can level up your reviews and roundup reviews with design elements, with editorial processes, and a bunch of other stuff. You might know some of the stuff we're going to talk about, but I doubt you know everything. So let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that most likely affects a lot of people that are listening to this podcast. That is how to level up your reviews slash random reviews on your site, how to make them better, both for the user and for Google. And I guarantee you that you probably don't know everything that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Like some stuff you might know if you're an advanced player, I get it. But some stuff you definitely maybe didn't think about or anything. And to make the podcast more interesting, we also went and found a bunch of examples of sites that use the tactic we're going to talk about so that you guys can go and check them out. If you're listening, just like go back and go to the show notes maybe or something or go on the description on YouTube. We'll put all the links and then uh, you'll be able to go and check it out if you're listening in your car or something like that. But I think it's more interesting when we talk about real life stuff. Uh, talking about real life stuff, let's just ask Mark how he's going. Okay, that's not really a good transition, but uh, whatever. <laughs> if you don't highlight it, it works. Anyway, let's just jump into the podcast. I, I guess you don't want to tell us you're doing okay. Your aircon is off, so I guess it's not that hot in Scotland. That's all I can tell. <laughs> is it like the analysis of how I'm doing, depending yeah. on whether you can see my air conditioning on or not now? Because we're, we're getting old, you know, it's like we get happy or sad with the weather. That's how it goes. Anyway, let's start the podcast. So the first one is going to be one that most people know about, so I just wanted to get it out of the way, but we're going to talk about tools to do that as well, so it's going to be interesting. That is comparison tables or summary after the intro or custom headers. So it's like I wanted to actually people to pay attention to like the custom header we built on Atari Hacker. And an example uh, of a post that has that is the best AI writing tool, basically. And we've made custom headers. Let's be honest, we have seen that work well for the competition. So we've built something quite similar. It's not like we came up with it or anything like that. But it's like, that's part of doing SEO, right? It's like something's doing well for people, do something similar. But that is something that is not necessarily implemented in all industries like this kind of like custom headers for posts. And that could be transposed in many industries. So that is a replacement for tables. And the way we build that is we build that with generate blocks. So if you're listening to this, basically the way it works is you have the header, you have the H1 of the post, then you have the post, the auto meta. So you have the auto name and the publish date. Then we have a bit of a summary that is a custom summary that we do through a custom field. And then after that, we have five boxes that essentially highlight the five best products. And you, know, you have best budget, best interface in the case of that post, best short form, best for research, etc. with call to actions. And then after that, it's the end of the header and the article starts, basically. Uh, so that's one way of doing that. But you can obviously do the classic comparison tables if you want to not build custom headers. That is also one way to do that. One thing that I want to point out for what we've built on Atari Hacker, because I think it's interesting, is we have this little summary, as I said, before the table. And for me, it's quite important because it feels like the content starts at that point, which pushes the start of the content much higher on the page than if it was the beginning of the article. And uh, Google has like page layouts algorithms where they don't want to, quote unquote, see too many ads above the fold. And I think if you stretch it a little bit, like if you ask, if you're asking John Mueller, he would stretch it to the point where he would say like, all these affiliate CTAs might be considered as ads. And so that's why I want to have content before that so that my article starts earlier on the post. Talking about comparison tables, you can actually build them with generate blocks if you want. Like we've done that on several sites and you don't really have to buy a plugin. Uh, but we've also played recently with GetLasso and it's pretty good. Not 
really like the composition tables are good, but that's not why I, I like Lasso. I like Lasso because of its integration with the affiliate network. So like with Amazon, with a bunch of other big ones, CJ, etc. It pulls like the product images for you. It adds the tags for you. It allows you to make the product box once and then reuse it on multiple posts. If uh, links are not monetized or not tagged, they will tag it for you, etc. So it's been pretty cool. It's kind of the level up to like DIY it yourself with generate blocks. One thing that they do really well actually is they've replicated the comparison table product boxes from some very popular sites yeah. such as the wire cutter one of the most popular ones out there and they've called it subtly or not so subtly cutter and it looks almost exactly the same you can obviously customize it tweak it change the colors and, and all that but if you're looking to Im implement product boxes of a similar sort of standard then it's kind of done for you within the tool yeah what I like as well is, is they behave well on mobile, which like when you build on generate blocks yourself, like you can do a lot of this stuff yourself. You can use the free generate blocks and do a lot of that stuff yourself and not pay for anything. But like you also need to like think about each screen size and like set the margins and the padding for each screen size, etc. So if you're not very good at it, <laughs> it's like there are chances that your CTAs would look a little bit shit on certain screen sizes and it could cost you conversions. And that's when getting kind of like a done for you solution like that is kind of handy if you're not like a really, really good designer. But yeah, I wanted to highlight both the, I think Lasso, they're releasing a free version or the whatever. So at some point, but right now it's paid. So it's like, choose your poison. Do you want to pay or do you want to do it for free on general blocks, basically? But that's basically it. Comparison tables, if you don't have them, you should definitely have them, usually after the intro. All right. So the next thing we want to talk about is quantitative factor scoring. So recently, Google's released an updated list of all the things it would like to see in a high quality product review. And number four on that list is share quantitative measurements about how a product measures up in various categories and performance. And I saw, a, I found a really good example of a site that does this just exceptionally well. The site is called RTings, RTings, I'm not, not quite yeah. sure. They're really good RTings. at TV reviews and stuff, yeah. So if you have a look at any of the reviews, I'm looking at the best gaming mouse summer 2022. And in each for each mouse that they have, they've actually broken it down by five categories. They've got whether it's good for office multimedia, for FPS games, for MMO games, ultralight gaming, and from travel. And for each of those, they've given it a score, which is great. That would tick the box of, of doing what Google wants here. But they've gone a step further. For each of these subcategories, they've actually broken it down into multiple categories below that. And they've assigned each of those subcategories a score, and then they've weighted it differently depending on which they think is important. So for example, for playing MMO games, they've attributed comfort of use as being 16.2% yeah. of the rating, and they give it a 9.0, the, the top one. Because <laughs> you play whereas, for like 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, whereas a, like a total number of buttons, number of side buttons important for all your macros yeah, for and your stuff. skills and stuff. Whereas yeah. scroll wheel tilt, or DPI switching capability, not really important for MMOs. So it's like one, 2% of the rating for each of those. Whereas FPS would more be like the ergonomics and the like speed, the weight, the weight yeah, as well. Click latency is the biggest the one, DPI of the tracker on so that you can actually uh, be precise and so on. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And they've even gone one step further 
in that they have a bar chart with a distribution of all the scores for each product. Now, this is probably a little bit difficult to implement and maybe it's a step too far for certainly for, for some niches. But if you're in a high competition space, pay attention to what they're doing. It's very, very interesting. Just by comparison, if you look at, I've got another example here, rockpapershotgun.com. They also have an article on the best gaming like mouse of 2022. They tick some of the boxes like, okay, yeah, they're comparing the DPI and the weight and the price and the number of buttons of each mouse but they're not giving it a score and they're not really showing that they've put it through put it through its paces and tested it properly in the same way like RTings have. So I think it's just a really good example to learn from. But I don't think RTings, I think they test everything, but I think the way they grade stuff, they don't necessarily have to have it in hand. They just kind of decide what's important, not important. And like the weight, you don't need to have it in hand to read the product description and see the weight of the product. Same with the DPI and a lot of these things. Like I understand that it's good to test it and I'm sure I know they do it, but I'm just saying you could do some of that even without the product in hand, I guess. You could. For sure. RT Ings, they do actually test yeah, all of it. And they, if you click on the test results, they've got photos of like the mouse on a digital scale. And so that's how they get the, the <coughs> weight. So they don't just take the manufacturer's claimed weight, they weigh it themselves and stuff. I'm just trying to pick like, how does someone normal do this? Because like, it's like most people won't do this. So I think for a lot of products, you can build these ratings without ever touching the product, just based on the specs. And it's just a matter of like, okay, for this use, what matters? and then make a, a rating grade, like a grading sheet, basically, and then put the products through it. And then you can do a lot of this without having to buy all the products, even though it probably is a good idea. Okay, let's do the next one. And the next one is linking to multiple sellers. So that is something that Google has highlighted in their product review guidelines as well. What they mean, basically, is they don't want you to just link to Amazon. They want you to link to people can buy it on Amazon and on Best Buy on Amazon or, and then B&H or something, stuff like that, so that people get to choose which retailer they purchase the product from when you're making a review. A site that does it really well is the Hoops Geek. So the way it works is they have their kind of like comparison table, like I thought the intro, like I said, and then they have a button that says buy from two shops, buy some three shops, etc. And you click on it, opens a pop-up, and on that pop-up it shows like uh, you know, the, the product image, and then under that there's a line per retailer, and there's a button here. So it's kind of like a two-step thing. And it's quite powerful, the psychology of this, because it's, it's the same psychology as two-step opt-ins, where once you've clicked on the button, like the article becomes grayed out, and you just see that pop-up with the buy buttons. And so you're kind of like... In that choice, you're making that choice of which one you're going to click on. You're not choosing if you're going to, you're actually like pushed to make that choice, basically. And that's why two-step opt-in worked well, and I think that works quite well as well. So that's one way of doing that. Another way of doing that is actually a tool called Genius Links. So it's, it's not new. They've been around for a while, and they're more for like influencers, I would say that share like uh, affiliate links on YouTube, etc. But the way they do that is they have what they call choice pages. And then you can create a link and automatically they will find all the retailers that sell it and then make you an affiliate link for it. And they will make you a landing page pretty much for a given product, again, with the photo and all the buttons, etc. So if you wanted to automate that with a tool, that's pretty okay. And honestly, it's pretty cheap, actually. It's one way to manage your Amazon stuff. If I had a big site, I'm not sure I would use that. I think I would prefer something like Lasso. But for like 10,000 clicks managed by them, you pay $20. So it's not too crazy, basically. And like Linus Tech Tips use them, for example, these kind of like influencer type people use them. So that's why I'm doing that. Or you can just look at what they've done and build the same for yourself. It's not hard to make a post type on WordPress and make choice pages work the same way. So it's up to you. But what I'm saying is just link to multiple sellers. That's what we've been trying to do on several of our sites. And 
The problem is that you often find that Amazon makes much more money than everyone else. <laughs> so the way you link to multiple sellers while steering most clicks to Amazon's is you make different button designs. That's what we have. So what we do is we do a full button. So like one of our sites has like red buttons. So it's like a full red button for the Amazon one. And then the other retailer would be like an outline button. You know, it's like the border is red, but the middle is white. It's a lot less appealing and it feels like the secondary button. And this way you comply with Google's terms of service or like not terms of service, but rather recommendations for reviews. And at the same time, you steer most of the traffic to what makes you the most money. So play with design on that, like button sizes, etc. Maybe you have like one main call to action and like multiple sub ones that are like just text links and something like that. There's lots of opportunities to steer people the way you want with that stuff. All right. So the next one is to convey value right away in your intro. When it comes to SEO, you know, the above the fold real estate is really precious. People are searching for keyword. They're clicking on your site, sometimes multiple other sites at the same time to decide who they want to pay attention to and who they want to listen to. So they don't always have time to read your entire article only to get to the conclusion to find the result that you're gonna gonna tell them. Like you've already kind of won when you get them on your page. So don't be afraid to just give away the result of is it a good product if it's a review or if it's a roundup review, which is the best product straight away at the top, like in the second paragraph or something of your article. I'm a big proponent of the, this whole inverted pyramid of value system for giving away the best information first and then kind of explaining it further down. I got a couple of examples of here of, of two polar opposite ends of the spectrum reviews. One of them is called BZ Paintball. And they basically, I mean, forget the fact that it doesn't look like a great, great site. website. Yeah, just, I was going to say. Just, just focus on the, <laughs> they, they actually rank page one for best paintball guns. So this is why I, so I brought that, it up. That, does it mean it's a great website? <laughs> Despite the fact that we've been talking about this for year paintball for years on the on the site, no on no the podcast, no one's it. made a high quality paintball site. I don't think it would be a very difficult niche to, our, to take our over. Google's latest update is not the best, maybe. Who knows? Well, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in the busy paintball, what they've done is they start off basically with an info article like what makes a good paintball gun, what are the factors you have to consider, how often are you gonna play, what's your budget, etc. 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 And then only in the final third of the article do they start making some actual product recommendations, which you would think, well, maybe when people are Googling that, they want to learn all those things. But actually, a lot of the time, they, they just want the recommendation. So giving it first, and it's still good to justify it later by explaining you know, how to choose the product and factors that go into it. But it doesn't stop you from making that initial, that initial recommendation first. The Wirecutter, again, very good example of a site that, that does this effectively. They have basically their second paragraph, they have that little box section, but the second paragraph before that, they have a, a big hour pick box with the number one product and uh, an yeah. image and multiple People links. don't so read, it right? Really good. People don't read anyway. Like They will not scroll. If you don't have recommendations in your first two screens, you're fucked. You're losing lots of conversions. So, yeah. It's kind of an expectation of what you're going to see on a Roundup review page now. And if it doesn't match that, then people perhaps are less interested in reading yours. So they just hit back and go read yeah. another article. I mean, that's what we saw when we did this uh, header. Like People just click on the buttons, to be honest. <laughs> it's like they land, they just click on the buttons, they don't even read the article. Anyway, my next one is going to be implement FAQ schema. So at the end of all your reviews, make sure you implement at least three or four FAQs through the right schema. So most SEO plugins now have a Gutenberg block for that. So we use the rank math one, it works just fine. And the reason you do that 
It's because it pushes competitors down when your FAQ shows up. So when you're actually ranking, you're taking more vertical space on the SERP, which means you're more likely to attract clicks. So it's like, it's a very deep optimization, but it's also one that doesn't take much. It's also one that makes it easy to implement maybe the surfer keywords that you struggle to implement in the body of the article and or allow you to like insert related questions, et cetera. In there. People's eyes are just drawn to your listing on, yeah, on the SERP yeah. a lot more when you have those as well. So if you Google best credit cards, you will see that NerdWallet uses that very effectively and they're pushing all their competitors down using that and you see how much thicker their, their, their listing is. It's basically like, it's like 50% more vertical real estate, which is all that matters. Vertical real estate on the SERP is what matters. And yeah, so I think it's an easy way to include keywords. It's an easy way to include related questions. And when you rank, it actually pushes your competitors down, which increases your CTR. So worth it, basically. And also, when you want to update your page, let's say you, you went down and you want to update, just do a quick update to your page. It's very, very easy to add one or two FAQ items to your page update, update your publish date, bam, just jump up in rankings, you know? Cool. All right. So the next one is product in hand, images and video. Again, going back to Google's guidelines on reviews, one of the things they say is provide evidence of visuals, audio, or other links of your experience with a product to support your expertise and reinforce the authenticity of a review. Makes sense. If we have a bunch of tiny Amazon images of the official product on the page, or if we have a photo of me holding the vacuum cleaner or whatever it is that I'm reviewing, which one are you gonna trust more? Obviously, the, the one with the product in hand. But the issue is, how do we actually afford these products? How do we get them? And there are, there are three basic ways. You can either buy them straight up, and then obviously the more expensive your product is, that starts to become a, a challenge in some instances. However, there are some people out there that will you know, buy them and then return them, which is maybe sort of morally questionable. You can also just sell them on, on eBay. Certain products will lose maybe like 30, 40% of its value if it's in new or as new condition. And you can just eat that cost as a cost of getting all this these products in your hand. I know one example of a site owner who gives them away to his team as a kind of like bonus and incentive. And he, he works with industry experts who love the products and I assume it's not the sex toys them. website example we talked about, right? The sex toys one? <laughs> I, said, I, just I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. No, it's not. I'm just, I'm just asking, right? It's an outdoor site, but right. I don't know how your brain went straight to that. It just makes me laugh, to be honest. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So the other approach is you can ask for a review copy. Now, this is only going to work if you're a relatively high authority in your uh, industry and people kind of know you and, and want to get exposure from you. If you're just starting out, it's going to be really difficult to convince people will give you stuff for free. And the other way is you can fake it. So you can Photoshop backgrounds in, reverse the image around. Do you think there's like a ranking factor for Photoshopping images? I don't know. Personally, I don't. But if you want to tick the box that says you've, you've done this, then I think it is possible to have images that look better than the, the standard Amazon product image. Perhaps you're doing a roundup review comparison with, with all of them together or something. You could do one step up from that. I have seen sites that do something interesting. They embed Instagram posts in the article. I don't think it's the same in the eyes of Google because in the eyes of Google, it's an iframe to Instagram. So it's not like an image. And so I don't think they even crawl the image. 
but if you care about the legitimacy, it's like, it's one way of doing this, you know? And again, I'm not sure whether all of this stuff is like the algorithms trying to figure out whether you're doing this or whether it's, you know, a qual stuff, you know? Quali manual quality raters yeah. doing it and they'll be able to see what's up anyway. There are a few other ways though to make this work if you can be a little bit more creative. So borrowing products from friends, you can partner with a retail store. So if you, for example, have a local outdoor store and you want to take a bunch of photos with all their tents, you can you know link to them or promote them on your site or exchange, do some kind of promotional exchange or even just straight up pay them. Like if you're working with a, a small independent store that closes at six o'clock, then ask if you can go in from six to seven, pay them however much, and just like take photos with all the tents, with all the chairs, with all the all the products, and and let them ask if you can do that. We had a pro member in the um, can't remember which niche, some niche like that, and uh, he just literally the shop. They were like, well, nobody's here between like. 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. anyway, so you can come and take the photos. We don't give a shit. And then, like, they don't even need a link or anything. Maybe help them set up their Google My Business or something, or like help them with something that will actually matter. Uh, it's not difficult. But like most small stores, like you can like, try to talk to them. They won't all say yes, but a lot of them will. And it it can be a gold mine for photos actually. And honestly, phone photos are fine. You don't even need a fancy camera or anything. Yeah, and nobody else is doing this because we're all internet marketers and we're scared to get we off the internet and go talk to people in real life. So, you know. Like you're the only person I talked to this week. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. What a depressing <laughs> life you must live. <laughs> That's why I saved all the jokes for this podcast. It's not true, by okay. the way. But okay. I don't know why I'm just like, I'm, I'm on the roll today. So, the other thing I was going to say on product in hand reviews is you can be selective about where you're doing this. You don't need to, if you have 200 reviews, you don't need to do this for every single product. But maybe pick the most important products, like the top level categories where you're doing a roundup or those which you're featuring on your homepage and which, you know, anyone coming to your site is likely to see first as an example of your, your reviews. That may be one way to improve the perceived authenticity of all of your review content if you do that. And a bonus sort of feature here is that if you're in a niche or if you choose a niche which has primarily software products, great example Sorry, is VPN. Yeah. Then it's really easy. You pay ten bucks to use it. You take a bunch of screenshots, and that's it. You can do that anywhere in the world. You don't need to arrange shipping or or anything like that. It's a good example. CoolTechZone.com. They're doing a review of one VPN, and they've just basically shown themselves using it and how it works, to, how they're using it to connect, and they've got these yeah, nice red arrows and boxes and and all that, which highlight everything that works. And yeah, it works. That's why software is cool because you can do it anywhere in the world. Like the problem with lots of uh, physical products in hand is that if you don't live in the US, it's not always easy to get access to everything. Like the UK, you're okay, but like like we're in Hungary here and I guarantee you I can't get everything. If I wanted to like run a whole like f business that reviews products in hand here, it would be complicated actually. So I think for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's the problem. You can also probably find someone, like you can hire a writer in the US, promote him as an editor and have him, him or her receive the products, etc. Anyway, let's jump on to the next point which is going to be gather reader feedback on your reviews. So actually we do that with a plugin that I like. It's a free plugin called Rate My Post. And all it does is it drops five-star kind of like rating widget at the end of your articles. And people basically ask them how useful was this article? People say one star, three star, five star, whatever. When it's really low, it asks them if like how you could improve the article, like what was missing, etc. And then it stores that on the post level. So like when you go back and re-edit your posts, 
like we've done that on some sites and we got some interesting feedback. Some of it is terrible, right? Some of it, people will be like, fuck off and everything in that form, right? But some of it is useful and it's, it's a good guideline. It's like when you re-outline your post when you update it, it's kind of useful to have that. And when they put a high rating on the article, you can have them follow you on social media or put a call to action or something like that. So it's a pretty cool widget. I like it. And it really takes 10 minutes to set up and it's free. It's a good way to get actual feedback without having to put enable WordPress comments and just be like overwhelmed by all the content spam that you get if you have that enabled on your site. Yeah, I agree. It's our comments are like, we don't run comments anymore, but this is useful. I think that's a better alternative. Do you want to do the next one? Uh, yeah, so the next one is build web or think about building web pages rather than building Google Docs. And this is really important if you're working with, you know, multiple people, someone who writes, someone who publishes, someone who else who's doing research, perhaps, and an editor later on, is that the writer, the person creating the content can often think of the end result as being the article, the Google Doc that they're creating. And there's no tables, images, product boxes, stuff that really makes a difference on that. So they can often write in such a way that it's not really thinking about that. So this concept we've been experimenting a lot with lately is having the writer write within WordPress, within Gutenberg. And then one of the biggest advantages of Google Docs is being able to sort of comment and highlight and discuss various pieces of uh, various bits of, of an article. But there's nothing in WordPress at the moment that does that, except there's a now a plugin. It's called MultiCollab. It has a free version too. Yeah, and they have a Google Docs style commenting within Gutenberg. And it's really, really good. We use it now on Authority Hacker instead of Google Docs to discuss articles, you know, as the writer's writing or creating stuff. And it's especially important, especially good if you are updating content where you just have, you know, a few sections which are changing. So you don't have to, you know, copy it all from WordPress back into Google Docs and then you messes all the formatting and then comment and discuss on it there. It's all just in Gutenberg. It's all just in WordPress. And yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah, I like as well that like you work more visually. It's quite important because more and more you don't build like a wall of text anymore and more and more. Just a Google Doc doesn't cut it anymore to like see what the article is going to look like in the end. And it's kind of like it, it's not going to work for all writers. Some writers are just like handicapped with technology and it's complicated to actually work with them on this stuff. But if you can do that, then working visually works much better. They, they Now our authors like add like, you know, did you know boxes and like they build call to actions or we build them elements as they need. They're like, oh, it'd be great if we did that in this article. Look at the preview of the page, etc. They think of mobile as well quite a bit more. And that helps quite a bit. We there's another plugin I wanted to talk about because we kind of have that like full stack now on Atari Hacker where we have a, a free plugin that was actually recommended to us by an H Pro Platinum member in the mastermind that is revision managed TSC. T- <laughs> Let me say it again. <laughs> revision managed TMC. It's not, not talking all week, you know, it's difficult to talk after that. But uh, what it does is it creates kind of like a staging version of a given post or page or something. And so basically you take an existing post that you want to update, you click on that button, it makes a revision that is another post in your list of posts. And then you go and edit that, you make it the way you would like the live page to be. And when you press publish, it takes the content of that revision and pushes it on the live URL. But what what it means is you can do it in multiple times because now you could work on the a WordPress editor, but then you need to publish or like if you save, it just publishes to the live page. Whereas now you can like have, you can spend like a week updating a page or something like that. So it's really cool. So we have that. We have this multi-collab that allows us to drop comments so we can like collaborate with people on these revisions of pages. And we use the Surface SEO Chrome extension 
to bring all the surface stuff directly into WordPress as well, so that we make sure the content that we publish is also updated. So like altogether, that system is quite interesting. I don't think I would run all sites on it. Like some sites of ours, I don't think they will ever run like that. But for some others where like the writers are like full-time or more involved, etc., then it's definitely something I like quite a lot right now. My only gripe with that system is that when you make big pages on Gutenberg, they tend to get a bit uh, laggy, laggy on your browser, basically. That's the one thing. Okay, let's jump on to the next point because we are spanking too much. <laughs> so it's going to be encourage user reviews. And first of all, I want to say that is going to be a point for single reviews mostly because you want people to review them as well. And when you do keyword research for single review keywords, you'll find that quite often you have two variations of the keyword. You have review and you have reviews with an S. And Google does make that distinction. Sometimes it doesn't, but often it does. And like maybe the single review, like the non-plural version of the review word will rank, you know, a blog post. But then if you're like thinking of software, for example, the reviews variation with an S will rank like G2 or like some kind of like site that just does this review aggregation from people. So if you can have that on your page, you can qualify for both variations and generate more traffic to your single reviews. And so a site that does this well is uh, Ibis Facts. So it's like they review us as well. They review a lot of uh, affiliate courses. They review like info products, basically. And they have recently added user reviews on there. And I think they do it pretty well. Like they get, they managed to get like pretty deep reviews from users and so on. Obviously, I check these because that's how we know that how to update our courses and so on. Like if people are like complaining about something or whatever, we just take notes and we try to implement that for the next version of the trainings. So yeah, go check them out. If you want to check the review they did on us, it's a good review, not no, no spoiler. But if you check the reviews at the bottom, it gives you an idea of how to do that. And I think there are plugins for that, but I haven't been looking into it yet, let's be honest. One of the most important things here is so that they actually spend quite a lot of time vetting the reviews. And this is a big problem if you're just having some kind of automated place that people can post reviews and it doesn't doesn't get checked, right? Because you get the product owner having, you know, signing up a bunch of times and just giving themselves a bunch of five-star reviews and that's that's not really helpful to give an accurate rating, right? So they spend a lot of time actually contacting the person that, that gave the review, asking for proof of purchase and screenshots of their usage and various yeah. things like that. So they really are confirming that the, the reviews on the, the user reviews on there are real and they're authentic. Yeah, and I think they have some kind of incentive. I actually went through it myself just to see what it looks like. And they say that you basically enter a giveaway for the month, like someone might win $250 or something like this as a Amazon gift card if you drop reviews. Like there's a bit of an incentive here, but it, it's quality user generated content. If you want to see this, like properly done UGC, I think it, that's a good example actually. And it also creates this like massive barrier around you. Like once you have that, if you've been running it for a few years, it takes time to build that up, right? But I mean, any competitor coming into the space, they've got a big uphill battle to, to try and compete with you on that. Cool, thanks. Do you want to take the next point? The next one is to design and run a test, a real world test. There's a really good vacuum cleaner site it's called Modern Castle, and they do these really interesting tests on all the reviews of vacuum cleaners where they get the product and they set up four pieces of flooring. They've got hardwood, they've got a low carpet and high carpet, and on each one they put patch of sugar, patch of kitty litter, patch of rice, and a patch of cereal. And then they put the vacuum cleaner over it and they try and determine, you know, what percentage of it did they did it suck up and how good is it. It's a very simple test. It probably takes them 20 minutes to run it. 
each time they do, I think they've, they use the same kind of piece of their office or studio to do it each time. But it's really cool. And it helps you to understand, you know, is this a good vacuum cleaner? Is it really picking everything up? Even if it's not the be all and end all of how much it's actually picking up, the fact that they're running this inspires a lot of confidence that they've looked through this product, these products thoroughly, and the ones they're recommending that are good are actually good. So it instills a lot of trust that way. Yeah, I think it's a good example of like practical tests that are not crazy to put together. Like it, it's doable if you want. But my critique to them is that if you go to that extent for doing things, you should probably do YouTube and social media as well. Like you should just do, because people make good money from affiliate from YouTube these days. I think I would go a bit more on YouTube. If I was doing this much work, then I would be on YouTube as well. They have YouTube videos for all their products now. Oh, okay. Never mind. That's how they didn't have actually. Okay, then good job. <laughs> Let's talk about the next one, which is actually one that one of our writers, Theo, in the team showed me in an affiliate site. I had seen that a long time ago on another site that was comparing Infusionsoft and Entreport, but it was called em50.com, I think, if I remember. It's, it doesn't exist anymore, so I can't say the domain name now. The domain that I'm going to talk about here is diamonds.com. Pro. And what they do is they have a concierge service that will help you find the best diamond for whatever you need. And it's quite interesting because I think most of us, you know, try to automate sales completely and we don't want to talk to anyone. We have a page, just click on the fucking button, buy it so I can get my commission. And it's like when you have very high paying commissions like diamonds, like also expensive software, like Infusionsoft, the example of the other guys, at the time they were paying $1,000 per new customer. I don't know how much they pay now, but you can make a contact form for people to tell you what they want. And then you just reply to them back with an affiliate link of the product that they should buy. I think the better implementation, I guess they're doing it as a contact form because they don't want to monitor it all the time. But I think as a live chat, it would be even more powerful. And I wouldn't do that in a niche. I would do that in niches where there's very, very, very high value, like financial products, like jewelry, anything that pays me a thousand bucks per sale. I think I could afford to have someone on the chat to reply to people and actually maybe three, four, five X your conversions. Like I know we ran live chat when we had an agency and it was very good for us to collect leads. And we got people that would never have contacted us otherwise. So that is a, an interesting take, not for all niches, not for your Amazon products or anything like that, but rather for very high paying affiliate programs. And I, I quite like this example. Go check out diamonds.pro. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's the, any final words of wisdom. That's also a question that keeps coming back. If you want to learn more about writing interesting reviews and leveling up your content, head on over to authorityhackertraining.com and check out our free training there. Oh yeah, we have a free training actually. Go and check it out. It's mostly for like uh, creating new sites, but there's some cool tips in there as well. Like same as this podcast, like we did talk about some basics, but there was also, I'm sure, some stuff you've never heard about. So Thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks and have a good day.